Today's episode contains the following. Cursing, sex work, explicit descriptions of sexual acts, kinks, and fetishes. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to A Story Most Queer, where every week we bring you a new story about queer characters and lifestyles, written by queer authors, narrated by queer voices. Pocket-sized queer stories for everyone. A Story Most Queer is brought to you by Mischief Media. This week's story is Ranch Daddy, written and read by Dale Corvino. January 21st. Scene from a breakup. Just go, Nick. You're too emotionally unavailable. This is as available as I get, I pleaded. He slammed the door shut. This year has been trouble on trouble already. First, I got laid off due to the recession. Then my boyfriend kicked me out with this final review. I found a sublet a few blocks away. All my savings went to the deposit and upfront rent, and I feel like a lurker in my former life. See, I have feelings. Facing uncertainty and loneliness, Nick went on a fitness kick. He shed his relationship weight running around Tompkins Square Park, waiting his turn to do pull-ups in the exercise yard. After seeing results from the combined effects of regular workouts and his newly austere diet, he began cruising AOL's gay chat rooms. He enjoyed the attention he received in the chat rooms. Turning 30 had been marked by a lively dinner with friends at the fanciest Indian restaurant on 6th Street followed by a cake with sparklers arranged by his now ex. 31 found him alone in a barren studio, perched at his iMac, chasing freelance work by day and validation by night. Thankfully, his upstairs neighbor didn't know enough to password protect her Wi-Fi signal. User Horny John UWS. Come uptown, I'll make it worth your while. User Nick of Time. Thanks, John, but I'm going to pass. User, Horny John, UWS. Are you sure? February 29th. Leap year, huh? I'm not getting enough freelance work, but at least I look good, lol. I've been hitting the M4M chat rooms, and it's good to know I can still pull trade after getting thrown out. This one chat room regular I've turned down repeatedly mostly because he lives on the Upper West Side, does not quit. After yet another rejection, he offered me money. I don't see anything wrong with it. Gigs are scarce right now, and the jobs I've invoiced are taking forever to pay. Nick showered, dressed, and caught the train to the West Side line. John answered the door and initiated some small talk. He was an antique dealer with a lover, a dog, and a house in New Hope. He had a really hairy ass crack and tensed up at the faintest hint of penetration. But Nick persevered like a trailblazer through dense jungle. John was audibly delighted. They hadn't really discussed a dollar amount. As he was getting dressed, John said, You're as good as any hustler I've ever hired, so you get the going rate, and emptied his wallet. He asked for an appointment for the following week. If you have any friends like you, I love to get tag-teamed, he added. Nick nodded and smiled as he left. He returned home with a stack of 20s and a business plan.
April 15th. After saying yes to the Harry Antiques dealer, I'm making more money than I did at my old job, in cash. I didn't think I'd be that good at it, but I've been told by more than one guy that I'm a natural, whatever that means. I think my background in the service industry helps. I'm punctual and professional. Last week, one guy answered the door, looked at his watch, and said, Oh, you're actually here. I guess other guys keep him waiting. Nick hadn't been at his last job for very long before the bust, so he had the least amount of seniority when the layoff started. First in, first out, the human resources manager said with a pouty grimace as she handed him a box. The freelance work, scant as it was, made a good cover story for his new career. He had a sole confidant he could talk to about hustling. His friend Dean had been a party promoter who turned to sex work after New York nightlife was shut down by the Giuliani administration. I used to throw parties, he'd say, and after a beat, now I am the party. Nick had been keeping a diary in a fairly pretentious leather-bound journal with hot press pages and gilded edges he'd gotten as a Christmas present from his mom. He began writing a little recap of every call with details like address, rate, and preferences. On late night phone calls, he would read entries to Dean, who would laugh and laugh, identifying with the absurd scenarios he'd documented while delighting in Nick's earnest approach to the work. May 12th. These younger boys won't travel to Jersey, but I don't mind. He was a tickle fetishist who booked a room at the Holiday Inn. He wore a wedding band. It was a pretty tame scene. I restrained his hands over his head and tickled his underarms, and also threatened to tickle him harder if he didn't open his mouth. Then he flipped the script on me, holding me down and tickling my feet, legs, ass, and underarms. I was fine with it until the tickle toys came out. I could even deal with the one-inch sable paintbrush, but when he brought out an electric toothbrush, I was done. Still, I like being a service provider to the whole tri-state area. Sometimes I feel like one of the late-shift utilities workers I saw on the bus ride back from Fort Lee. $300. Nick met up with Dean at the Cock, the bar where Dean used to throw his notoriously frisky party featuring naked go-go dancers. The police had raided the party repeatedly, and the health department issued code violations until he was forced to shut it down. I've noticed a decline in my weekly sales. I'm down something like 20%, complained Nick. He still had some regulars, like the hairy antiques dealer and headmaster, the guy he'd surprised by being on time. It's still pretty good money, but the hours. Dean sucked on his straw and cruised a guy hovering by the door. I've been keeping to a savings plan, basically peeling a 20 off the top and stuffing it in a shoebox under the bed to which Dean registered amazement. Wow, all my income goes to expenses. I'm guessing that the word expenses is doing a lot of work in your answer, Nick replied. Dean laughed his thunderous laugh, then continued. You were riding the newcomer bump. Now comes the slump. When you're fresh meat, everyone wants you. We've all been there. He'd become something of a mentor to Nick. He'd familiarized him with all these kinks and fetishes Nick had only read about. 
You could say Dean showed me the ropes, Nick once joked to a bondage enthusiast as he worked through his bowlines. June 5th. Dean called me in for a double with one of his regulars, an older, well-preserved gay guy who lives down by Wall Street, a lycra fetishist. He had a collection of underwear, singlets, jocks, and speedos. As we tried the items on, he got more excited. We wound up in used jocks, smoking cigarettes, playing into this fantasy of a couple of horny bros hanging out after a game. He loved being designated to service us. On the way out, I noticed yesterday's crossword puzzle on the kitchen table. I said, oh, I do the crosswords too, and gave him the answer to 32 across. This seemed to annoy him, and he all but pushed us out the door. Dean yelled at me for ruining the fantasy. $200. Dean's call interrupted Nick's afternoon sleep. Hey, I've got one I can't do. A raunch daddy. West Village. 250 A what? Benito's a super guy. He's actually kind of a famous Mexican novelist. He likes guys ripe and sweaty. No deodorant. No cologne. He'll sniff your pits and your crotch and even your sweaty ass. Nick hesitated, but Dean kept pitching. I think he'd really like you. He digs more natural guys. Dean enhanced his physique with steroids, from Mexico as a matter of fact. It takes time to work up a stink, and I'm just too busy. Nick took Benito's number, and after getting home from another grind of a session with a hairy antique dealer, called him. They had a polite conversation and scheduled an appointment for the following day. The hairy antique dealer was Nick's most reliable regular. He saw him at least once a week. Nick was happy to have a regular, but grew weary of his demands. He wanted a full-on boyfriend experience, which Nick felt unsuited to provide, especially in light of his last relationship review. Headmaster once called him a Latin stud for hire, and Nick felt that that was an apt description of the experience he offered. I can be that guy, at least for an hour, he thought. On the morning of his appointment with Benito, Nick ran laps around the park and then headed over to the workout area for some pull-ups. It was crowded with neighborhood chulos, packing large in their baggy sweatpants and giving Nick slight nods. He skipped putting on deodorant and came to enjoy tracking the developing odor wafting out of his warm pockets as he ran errands. Benito seemed to believe that he'd be getting two or three days of funk, so Nick fretted that today's sweat and yesterday's socks and underwear wouldn't be enough. He decided to bike across town for added effect. Please come in, Benito said at the door, and he leaned in to get a whiff as Nick crossed his threshold. With a delicate touch, he placed a turquoise envelope on the dresser. Hello, I'm Nick, he said, and shook his hand. Benito pulled him into an embrace, inhaling deeply his right body. He raised his head, closed his eyes, and his mouth formed an aficionado smile, which was somehow perfectly horizontal. Nick, Dean said I'd like you, and I do. He undressed as Benito shed his robe. The air thickened with Nick's funk, and the two strangers were bathed in this potent broth. Benito's fat tongue found Nick's mouth, he wedged his nose in Nick's armpit, inhaling and licking. Nick raised his arm, giving him full access. 
He licked the salt off Nick's torso. Nick impulsively tasted it, too. When Benito lowered himself, Nick was impressed with the sight of this dignified man worshipping at his ripe feet. Benito murmured approvingly as he peeled off his socks. Nick pocketed the envelope without even counting the money. By now he could tell by the thickness. Though they hadn't discussed it, he was sure he'd be seeing Benito again. Nick was surprised to hear back from the lycra fetishist. He supposed he'd gotten over the crossword puzzle slight. Since his call with Benito, he was aware of all the synthetic odors he encountered in his daily routine. The soap in the shower smelled like rest stop air freshener. The shampoo was fruity for some reason. The lotion gave a hint of coconut, which on its own wasn't bad, but didn't combine well with the rest stop air freshener smell or the fruity hair smell. His clothes had a false freshness detergent smell, which was distinct from the stale sweat trapped in synthetic fiber smell coming off the lycra fetishist's sports gear collection. He paid Nick the same rate as the first time when it was a double with Dean, which was a little short for a solo. Benito returned to New York and called Nick for another session. He split his time between New York City and Mexico City, where he had a family. He was a visiting professor in comparative literature. In trying to understand Benito, Nick read an article about scent as the source of attraction and how pheromones are powerful sexual signals. Newly woke, he seethed against the systemic repression of human nature represented by the regime of personal care products. June 21st. I enjoy giving Benito his olfactory pleasure and stiffening my lean body against his soft folds. To all the other guys, I'm a fuck puppet. Benito takes his pleasure on another level. It's not just another fetish. I think of most fetishes, like the lycra guy or the tickler, as substituting things for emotions. Benito is on some other trip. He has unlocked my sense of smell, which I guess I had neglected. I spent the afternoon shopping for unscented soap and detergent. $260. On Benito's next stay in New York, he brought Nick a copy of his novel and some alfajores from a cake shop in Mexico City. Nick had made the switch to unscented products at home and only applied deodorant when it was really called for. He expected to get complaints, but instead men and women were drawn to him in public settings in what seemed like supernatural patterns. I guess nature is super, Nick announced to one particular swarm in Tompkins Square Park. After repeat sessions whenever Benito was in town, Nick moved into his apartment. He'd done a fair number of in-calls in his sublet. The landlord had questioned all the traffic, and it didn't really feel like home anymore, if it ever did. Benito's place, with its clean lines and soft tones, was sheltering and placid, like a hotel in a foreign capital. It had well-designed built-ins, and the lights were on dimmers, and Benito had cleared a closet and a nightstand for him. He also left detailed instructions on the care of his plants. There was a giant aloe with spiky spears in the window by the kitchen. He is a desert dweller. You must not drown him, he wrote. July 31st. 
I saw the herring antiques dealer again, who told me he was spending next month with his lover in New Hope. He invited me to visit, offering to put me up in a nearby hotel. Honestly, I was relieved. He can be so clingy. Of course, he was extra clingy, knowing that he probably wouldn't see me again for a while. I found myself thinking about Benito while faking my way through the session. There's no one else like him. He doesn't go for any false projections of romance. $220. Nick would only go on calls when Benito was out of town. Sometimes he would even tell him about them. Though Benito wasn't jealous, Nick liked maintaining this boundary. He'd clean the apartment naked, working up a funk so that he'd be ready for his return. He'd lay around reading Benito's novel in the original Spanish. Translation is impossible, I'm afraid, Benito once said of the matter. It would take him a long time to get through a chapter, but he had time. He'd make lists of words he didn't understand. Shortly after moving into Benito's, Nick met up with Dean back at the cock. Dean had just finished a call with a black john with antebellum fantasies. Dean sincerely enjoyed the psychodrama of race play, but it made Nick uncomfortable. I think I'm in love with Benito, Nick confessed over a beer. Who's Benito? asked Dean. You set me up with him? The Mexican writer in the West Village? Oh, Ranch Daddy, Dean said with laughter. You can't go falling in love with your Johns. You'll go out of business. Not all of them, just Benito, Nick replied. Looking for love in all the wrong places, he scolded his friend with country music lyrics. And by the way, you stink. Is there such a thing? Nick wondered as he sniffed his pits. In anticipation of Benito's return, Nick had prepared a list of words and phrases from his novel he couldn't find in the Spanish-English dictionary. They were mostly Mexican slang terms, along with some place names. The list would provoke a long conversation about the characters in the novel, interlaced with details of Benito's own life in Mexico City. Nick was sprawled naked on the sofa writing in his diary when Benito walked in carrying bags of groceries, having promised Nick a lavish feast. I prepare for you caña de filete con puré, said Benito. What's that? Don't worry, Gringuito. It's steak and potatoes. They laughed. What are you reading? That is not my novel, Benito asked with mock indignation. I'm writing, not reading. It's my diary. Hmm, another writer in the family. May I? asked Benito, sliding alongside him to read. I've been hustling all this year, and it's mostly bearable. I try to keep the regulars interested and meet my weekly sales goals. I pride myself on being on time and delivering the goods. I'm never without my kit. Condoms, lube, mints, lip balm, spare jock strap, moist towelettes, eye drops, zinc lozenges, pain pills, and emergency 20. What I didn't count on was the intimacy. It's changed me. I found something to love about every single John. Benito picked up his head and paused to consider. I enjoy your phrases. They remind me of your arched feet. He bent to kiss them and inhale their complicated notes. 
planted on the ground assertively, yet arched over the horizon like mangrove roots, like them, briny and pulsing with vigor. Puta madre, I can be so fucking florid. I've learned a lot from hustling, Nick said. Oh? About desire. Not everyone can express what they want like you can. Or even know. It's all coded. Sometimes I have to figure it out before I can deliver. You've persuaded me. You're a mechanic of longings, Gringuito. Also, how to glide past reception at elegant hotels. A useful skill. The feast was impeccable. Benito flamed the beef with mezcal, the way he'd had it in one of his favorite restaurants back home. After the feast, Nick gave himself to Benito with an abandon he had never accessed before. He merged with Benito, his lover, his John, his professor, his aficionado, as they revered his body together. They raised all the boundaries between them. Age, language, culture, power, money, the Rio Grande, the dry plains of the Southwest. Sprawled in bed, the novelist at his feet, he gloated over his ex-boyfriend's bad review. I'll show you emotional availability. Though the thought that he'd been brought to this place of emotional availability while hustling pricked at the afterglow. Some days later, Nick returned to the apartment to find his diary perched on the dresser where Benito left his turquoise envelopes. Beneath the diary were twelve such envelopes, and on the last page was a note written in red. Nueva York, 15 de septiembre de 2004. Querido, it's Benito. Of course you know from my pedantic handwriting. I beg forgiveness for sticking my nose, haha, in your diary. I haven't told you something about your bounty of pleasures. Your body somehow brings back remembrances of the lost idol of my youth. Your musky ass and overripe meloncino snapped off the vine, dew glistening on its skin, cracked open on the metate. Your underarms, the neighbor's brick chimneys, commingling and thickening flavors of fruit and legume and pepita on their hearths, an alchemy of passion and earth. The touch of your pampered fingers, that of my tutor, a boy just a few years older than me, who was later murdered by Los Alcones. Of course, your cum is my own tepache de piña. How I long for our unholy acts from my patio in Coyoacan. All is illusion except for your odor, gringuito. Let me also remind you that it is quite inconvenient, given my populist and anti-imperialist leanings, to be so enraptured by your capitalist body. You dominate me completely without raising a hand, yet here I am colonizing your pages. Sometimes, when I grade my students' compositions, I hide lurid suggestions in the commentary. I will not return. The university has declined to renew my appointment. I suspect they have capitulated to pressure coming out of the Ellen Sino melodrama. It's a small price to pay for defending our democracy, such as it is. Please stay in the apartment and maintain the plantitas. Benny. Nick lowered his nose to the page and inhaled, 
detecting hints of tobacco and vetiver from Benito's absent fingers. His tears plonked on his lover's words, tracking through the red ink and pooling along the page's gilded edge. Thank you for listening to A Story Most Queer. Ron Shaddy was written and read by Dale Corvino. This episode was edited by Leah Cornish. Our outro music is Round Daytime by Paratune. If you like the show, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on your podcast app of choice. It really helps others find us. You can follow us on social. We are A Story Most Queer on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you would like to submit a story, head over to astorymostqueer.mischiefmedia.com to read over our FAQs and fill out the form. You can also check out mischiefmedia.com for the other shows on our network. A fan of everything that goes bump in the night, or at least everything that goes bump on the silver screen? Check out our brand new horror movie podcast, Jump Scare. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week for another Story Most Queer.